This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. joining us again listeners to another voices of vapors podcast series where we talk about tobacco harm reduction including electronic cigarettes and vaping devices these are thr products and they've been subject to local state federal regulations taxation and actually in some places threatening prohibition at least related to flavors and electronic cigarettes it's unfortunate because there's approximately three million vapors who have used these products to quit smoking combustible cigarettes and they're a very good tool for public health Today, I have a leader in the advocacy, and he's an early pioneer in uh, tobacco harm reduction. I have Mark Anton. He's the executive director of the Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association, or SAFADA. He's been involved with vaping since 2008, and he was a C- he's CEO and founder of What is Smoke, a LLC. It's an electronic cigarette and vaping device manufacturer and distributor. He's also served as a principal investigator on a government contract, which helped develop a standardized e-cigarette for research. And in addition to Safada, he's the Legislative Director for Federal Matters um, for the New Jersey Vapor Rights Coalition, NJVRC. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Oh, it's my pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. No, we we love Safada. I know Heartland's worked with them, so it's always great to have you guys on and talk about what the organization's doing. So I explained a little bit myself, and it's very brief. So can you, and I always ask the question, can you tell our listeners how you got involved with vaping? Sure, I'd be happy to share with you. Um, well, it actually started back in 2008 when I was uh, in another industry at the time. I happened to be in Las Vegas, and I saw an article in the Las Vegas Sun regarding a project to make a casino a smoke-free environment with electronic cigarettes. And so I investigated a little bit more, and I ended up uh, uh, hooking up with Enjoy back in the day. Okay. Uh, and I act, I became a distributor for them in 2000. I think it was May of 2008. So I've been around, I've wow. been around this industry for quite some time, and I've seen a lot of changes and a lot of uh, different things. And then in 2009, I ended up starting What a Smoke and uh, created my first product, which was a a cigalike product. And and then from there, it's developed into mods and and liquids and those sort of things. So. Um, that's just kind of the short story of what what a smoke and myself have been up to. But we've seen a lot, and you know we've seen enjoy beat the FDA back in the day, um, <laughs> which you know I still look back at very fondly, and also as a, a a light in the darkness that we have because this small company actually stood up to the FDA and won. No, that's awesome. That, wait, okay, what were you standing up to? What was the with the FDA coming down on? Oh, uh, back in the day, they were confiscating product at, at you know using customs as their enforcement tool, and they believed that the products were uh, an unapproved drug delivery device. Oh, was this related to the lawsuit? Yep. This okay. Is all the lawsuit. Oh, that is the lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was. Way back before, I think I was still in high school when that started going on. Actually, <laughs> it shows. You know what? It just shows that our industry, despite all of the attacks, is still going strong. And you know, despite all of the legislation, despite all the regulatory 
uh, rhetoric and the conversations and the directions that are out there, this industry has been, as it always will be, a product of the consumers driving it more than the industry. Exactly. Well, it came out from the consumers. Um, I remember, I think I've talked to Big Tobacco, a couple of the companies, and I remember asking them, I was like, you know, were you guys... I. I, did you even, I don't think they gave e-cigarettes and electronics, you know, cigarettes any, uh, you know, I think they looked at them like they were a gimmick because um, you really didn't see big tobacco start to invest into these products until like way late into the game. So, yeah, they actually ended up acquiring a number of companies like yeah. uh, Blue was acquired and a number of others, but uh, they really didn't get into the game until really much later. So that's why I, I have to laugh every time I hear uh, certain organizations say that we're a front for big tobacco. <laughs> big tobacco would have never done this. Um, no. you know, and nor would the pharmaceutical industry because they have to put so much effort into it to get it approved. And you know, as you see in this industry, the products have basically morphed very quickly and there's no way you could do an NRT and wait six, yeah. seven, eight years, and then that product will still have viability. Yep. Uh, you know, so the changes that have come are very instrumental. I mean, we've gone from a Sigalike. Could you imagine if only Sigalikes were still available? Oh, God. First approved, <laughs> right? So, you know, we've gone to the, what we call the mods, which are uh, – a much better delivery device for vapor and, and nicotine to the blood plasma level. And then at the same time, now you've got uh, the pod systems with the uh, nicotine salts in the higher concentrations. So there's a constant evolution in this industry, and the regulatory process is really just putting it in a situation where, you know, we're looking at that, those changes, those evolutions being stopped. For exactly. For I don't know. Yeah, exactly. No, it is, they are really hampering on it. Okay, so now that we're, we've talked a little bit about it, and I'm, cur I'm curious about it when I was reading your bi uh, bio, can you tell us more about this government contract that you did and this standardized e-cigarette? Sure. Um, goodness me, I think it's been two, three years now. Uh, but there was a solicitation for an NIH contract, which it was actually through the Department of uh, Drug Addiction. So wow. it's National Institute of Drug Addiction, and they were looking for a standardized electronic cigarette so that there could be more research done on electronic cigarettes. Um, and we did the phase one uh, project, uh, working very closely with NIDA and the FDA, and it gave me a very good insight into the inner workings of, of the regulatory process and what is actually required mm -hmm. of, a, of a manufacturer. Um, so the PMTA process was just, I got a little glimpse of what the PMTA process would be and, and the conflict that the government agencies have because they require animal toxicological testing before you do any testing on humans. Obviously, mm -hmm. this product is out there. Humans are using it. So um, there was even the issues between the two regulatory processes of, you know, is it required? Is it not required? So I think that's also partly why we haven't seen the, the final draft guidance for the deeming rule, and because I think they're still grappling with what they need to include and not include. Um, but the contract itself, uh, 
really required to be on the market for five years after you did it. Uh, the product had to be available for other institutions that may want to test it. Uh, I believe only one company went through the full process, and I don't even know if they're if anyone's even using it. But the problem was is it had so many different conscripts, it was really designed for closed systems. Okay. But I did mine on an open system because I think the open system needs to be available for the consumers as well because it works so well for people. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, all right, so that's really interesting, and I'm sure it was a nightmare, too, dealing with the regulations. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, and I actually, I think it was Jennifer Higginbotham. She's done a lot of work with, I know, um, streamlining the process, and she was telling me, well, you know, the, the way that these the, um, product registration, a lot of this was actually, they they pretty much just took a you know page from their tobacco handbook and then, you know, tried to put it towards vaping products, and you really can't do that because they are two different, unique products no that, that's correct uh you know it, it's the old copy and paste mentality yeah. as we've seen here in new jersey uh we've had regulations put forth that really are just basically a copy and paste of their tobacco regulations and you know i've tried to explain to them that uh, our distribution models aren't the same stores don't carry the same thing if you go into a convenience store all the back walls are controlled by contracts with big tobacco. So, you know, you have your your Marlboros, your Winstons, your, you know, whatever product you may have on that wall, um, you know, everyone's the same, yep. right? Where if you go into a convenient, uh, into a vape shop, vape shops have a total different model. Uh, you know, one store will have a different product line that they carry versus another because they're looking for competitive advantages. So they buy from different distributors. And there's not a, a, a set distribution chain as there is in tobacco. So yeah. uh, to just try to fit us into it, the FDA is doing exactly what every state group is doing. They, they look at us as tobacco. And then when they actually start to look into it, they realize that the reality is, is we don't operate the same. Yeah. Uh, so it would be really great if some of the, uh, the, the public groups that have been coming out against us would also do the same type of research, would also look at us with an open eye instead of just saying we're trying to addict people and that we're just popularizing smoking, which is far from the truth. Uh, we're working on doing just the opposite. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that it's going to take a significant amount of effort on an advocacy level to really change people's minds. And we've seen some changing in uh, of people's minds, but now we pretty much have to start over again with the elections because many people have been moved out of their positions that, you know, we've been working with in the past. So, yeah, especially in state legislatures. Okay, so all right, now moving into the next one's perfect um, spot for it. Let's talk about Safada. Uh, Would you? What were you guys working? Can you, I guess, talk to our listeners who might not be familiar with the organization, um, what y'all do, and then also, what did you guys work on in 2018? What are you expecting in 2019? Sure. Um, Since before I became the executive director at Safada, I was on the board of directors for about two and two two and a half years and um safada is a trade organization that works very heavily in the vapor industry we represent uh small 
retailers, we represent uh, big retailers, we represent manufacturers, distributors, and, and our objective is to go out there and uh, do everything we can to protect the industry that they're in so that they can conduct business, that they can uh, share these products with uh, consumers who might want an alternative to their traditional smoking products. But some of the, you know, and one of the first actions before I even stepped into the position was uh, we had a sit down with Commissioner Gottlieb and uh, Director Mitch Seller at, uh, down at the FDA headquarters. And part of our, our conversation was really uh, structured around how can we work together? How can we address the epidemic that really is out there, which is the smoking related death and disease? Uh, more so than the other epidemic that's being touted right now. So uh, that that listening session went into a very uh, spirited and good working conversation. So we've taken out of that a number of things, and we've started it this year actually, uh, which is part of it is we recommended and suggested to them that we look at a, an alternative to the PMTA process that is structured for tobacco. And we wanted to do a standard-based protocol similar to what other countries have looked at, uh, ones that obviously fit the U.S. marketplace first and foremost. And so we, we, we got very busy on the phones reaching out to people who were part of the ANSI-TAG, which really is a standards organization uh, that was a subchapter under the tobacco organization. And uh, basically, that's the developed standards that all companies can work under. And, you know, we, we work very hard to make it so the small player can still be engaged in this industry because that's the reality of who actually has started this industry, mm -hmm. who's part of this industry. So they deserve a position here as well as the, the, the more well-financed organizations that, that can do other things. Um, Sort of like if you look at the uh, the beer industry, you have the large uh, manufacturers, and then you have the uh, um, the uh, oh, what are they? The craft called? brewers. Yes, thank yep. you. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I, I see I, I see our industry kind of uh, developing this, a similar model, if you will, because people love the craft breweries; they're always looking for something different, right? So yep. Um, I think there's a place for both. And um, so, you know, in that, uh, I reached out to uh, AIMSA, who is the standards organization in the United States. Frankly, I think they're the only standards organization. And I said, how can we do this? What can we do next? And so uh, we got a coalition of a number of associations together and created the North American uh, Vapor Alliance. And that is to develop standards that both the U.S. and Canada can uh, both work under. Uh, Health, Healthy Canada has uh, basically embraced vaping in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that have worked there, we're looking to glean the information from that to, to also bring to the FDA. So that's one thing that we worked on this year. The other thing is we saw the issue uh, with uh, teen vaping, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the epidemic, so and to speak. And, I, and I'll leave that up to your audience to determine whether or not they believe there's any issue. But the reality is, is that the government uh, has, has made a very strong case that uh, 
they do not want to see another generation addicted to nicotine based on the channel of vaping. Mm-hmm. So uh, in conjunction with AIMSA and a few other people, we started the Youth Education Prevention Program, which uh, its acronym is YEP. And it is a program that uh, we're looking to get into uh, institutions and help parents understand this because parents really don't understand yeah. what these products are and look like and how they act and what's in them, what's not in them. Uh, because, you know, we, we've seen through the CDC numbers that half of the vaping that they're accounting for is actually kids using THC. So yeah. with those numbers, we have to actually educate the parents and give the people the proper tools from the knowledge that the industry has to help them understand how to how to parent, how how to address their kids, uh, how s- school administrators can look at this. Uh, we're, we're hearing all the rhetoric around every uh, about you know all the kids using these products in the bathroom. They're stealth vaping. They're they're doing whatever. But uh, you know, the key here is to give people the tools to actually address this in their home and how to address it. So. That was uh, an, another big step we've done. And the third thing is is uh, we're working on a, a PR campaign. I've been a very big advocate on getting our message out to the people who don't understand what this product is, why it's important, who it helps, who it, who, who it can serve, and why it can serve them. And so we've started the Save the Vape campaign which is geared around raising funds, and, but more importantly, it's about getting our message outside of the vaping industry because the vaping industry, we all know this. We all are very aware of what the issues are. The, the issue is, is the John Q. public has zero idea what yeah. this is. They see all the articles that say, you know, vaping is this, vaping is that, whatever it may be. Uh, but we want to give them truthful information from people who have actually uh, been using these products and how it affects them and, and, and what it's done for their lives or their family. Uh, so there's a significant lack of information coming from our side of the table, and it needs to be picked up. And so Safada's working very heavily to bring that to the forefront. The Heartland Institute has ramped up our video production in 2018, and we wanted to let you know about the first two weekly series you should be checking out on Heartland's YouTube channel. The first is called Two Minutes with Tim, starring new Heartland Institute president Tim Hulskamp. Dr. Hulskamp weighs in on the hot news story of the week from a free marker perspective, or an issue that's important to advancing our shared mission of smaller government and more individual liberty. Tim has commented on the fake polar bear scare, the left's attempt to take over the internet via net neutrality, school choice advancements across the country, defending the Second Amendment, and more. Heartland is also producing a new series called Flashes of Freedom, which applies free market principles to real-world situations. Videos we've already produced have featured freedom champions, such as Steve Forbes, Matt Kibbe, John Stossel, Dan Proft, Joe Walsh, John Lott, and more. Go to YouTube and search for the Heartland Institute or go right to Heartland Tube and subscribe to our channel. You'll get a notification of every new release so you never miss a timely and professionally produced episode of our new video series. Go to YouTube and search for Heartland Institute today. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think I've I've encountered it myself and I know Heartland, you know, we work with state lawmakers and and it's amazing that, you know, some of these people some of these lawmakers are 
um, you know, they just don't have, they don't understand it at all. Um, and so I think it is very important to get education out there, especially, um, like, uh, you know, how many adults have been, you know, saved from the, you know, have been, you know, the, using this life-saving device, you know, when they were, when we're so caught up in the argument about the kids, I think it's easy to forget about the millions of adult vapors who, you know, would not have quit smoking cigarettes if not for these products. Exactly, exactly. And, and that leads me into some of the issues that we're going to be expecting in 2019. Obviously, with many of the state legislatures changing over and, and, and the congressional uh, mem uh, the House switching over to Democratic control, uh, we're expecting T21 to accelerate. We're expecting uh, greater attacks on flavors. Uh, even though every vaping product is flavored, even if it has a tobacco flavor, it's still flavored. Yep. Uh, so that's a misnomer that we hear over and over and over again and uh, trying to educate the politicians that, no, we don't put tobacco leaf in our vapor products <laughs> to make them taste like tobacco. Uh, it's actually a flavoring. Um, so... Uh, you know, some of the things that we're concerned about as well is we have not gotten uh, guidance on the HPHC testing that's expected by, uh, I believe it's August or September of uh, 2019. And that's, that's going to be a significant thing for many of the manufacturers to have to deal with. So we're really trying to push the FDA to give us guidance on that so we can share it with our members. Yeah. So they can actually start doing it because the government has put in place, you know, you had to register your products last year. This year was uh, the ingredient listing and next year will be the HPHC. So there's, you know, there's continual uh, material that's required just to stay in the industry, uh, not, not, not to look past the PMTA in 2022, which frankly takes a significant amount of time if you're going to be doing things from the way I learned of it, of dealing with the contract. It, it's going to take some time because you have to do your your, your uh, phase one testing of your liquids to determine, and then you make your, your um, you know, your uh, process to the FDA. And so uh, then you get approval to go into the next stage and then the next stage, and then we also have the, you know, the overall effect of what it's going to do to the population at large, which I'm not sure any of us can really conclude. Yeah. But, um, you know, so there's a lot of things, and, and I'm most concerned because uh, I'm very aware of one of the politicians who will become the um, uh, chairman of the health I mean, the energy and commerce, and, and he's the ranking Democrat on the uh, health subcommittee, and that's uh, Congressman Frank Pallone. And I've tried to get a number of meetings here in New Jersey with him with his own constituents, and his office has refused to this date because he calls these small vape store owners big tobacco. Oh, gosh. And, you know, so <clears throat> in that, we've we've – We've pleaded with them. We've sent them information, trying to get them to understand that we are not big tobacco. Yes, is big tobacco in this industry? Certainly. Some of them have been backing out recently, as we've all heard. But the reality is, is if we can get in there, we can show them and educate them. Because we've done it here in New Jersey. We've done it with Democrats on the health committee who now look at this product as a harm reduction tool. 
So it's very difficult when the politicians won't even meet with their own congressional members to discuss these issues. That, to me, is a huge issue in the lack of governance, true governance, yeah. because they, they're supposed to represent their constituents. And in and, and not doing so, they're not giving their constituents a fair um, opportunity to bring forth their points of view and what they're doing in their in their own community and how they're they're helping the community. So that that's a hurdle that's been a little bit difficult to get o- over. But you know, uh, we'll we'll just keep fighting. We're not going to stop. Absolutely. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. Like I said earlier. Okay. So um, Svada's hosting your annual conference. Can you talk more about that? Um, what can we expect? Where, where, when is it? Where is it going to be at? Sure. Uh, that is going to be in Austin, Texas, on the third and fourth of December. And what that co- what our annual conference is, we try to have a, a different theme every year. But this year, the theme is around the program of Save the Vape, and uh, which I was telling you was our our uh, our uh, promotional thing to get funding for the PR stuff. But what the convention will uh, focus around this year is the tools to help the businesses be successful, whether it be marketing or science or the materials you need to start working on for your PMTAs. Uh, it'll also be on protection uh, you know, of your assets, exit strategies, because many of the people that are vape store owners, a number of them are, are first-time business owners. So we want to give them tools to actually be able to build their business if they if they so choose to. We want to give them the tools to be successful in transitioning if they so choose to sell it or uh, retire or whatever the case may be. So we're really looking to help build up the business owner with support from uh, their trade association. Oh, awesome. I will be joining you down there, so that'll be... Oh, I look forward to meeting you and seeing you. Yes, I know, I know so many of the vaping... I think I know so many of the vaping advocates, I think, through Facebook and, like, just working on, like, emails with them. So when I get to actually meet them, I'm like, oh, it's so great to finally meet you in person. Yeah, and we're actually having it our holiday party on the 3rd and an awards ceremony for advocates in the industry because we want to recognize the hard work of many of these folks because it really is a volunteer-based uh, uh, thing. I mean, for years I worked quietly behind the scenes uh, reaching out to my politicians and stuff before there were even trade shows, and I mean uh, advocate, advocacy groups. So I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there, and I know a lot of them who do the same. And you know, we're looking to recognize their hard work and their commitment to the to the vape industry and helping people have tools to help them switch their you know to to other products to safer products. So yeah, uh, and you know some other things and suggestions uh, regarding um, the you know the convention and uh, the con- I'm sorry conference. I recommend people come. And it's not just because I want people there. It's it's you're going to get a tremendous amount of tools and insights. This is done to help you, the business owner. And it's it's really you know I 
I'm very involved um, into this up to my eyeballs and in daily things, the FDA, local states, uh, everything. And so I'm very aware. Uh, the people who are in this industry really need to be aware and yeah. they need to be engaged and they need to be um, you know, part of this fight because we're at a critical point in our industry. And if we don't all come together and work together to save this industry, we could see it highly restricted. We could see a number of things put into place where we won't succeed. We won't be around. And we believe this, the, the, the small business owner has been instrumental in helping many people transition away from smoking and, and we've seen that in the vape stores over and over and over uh, they have such a high rate of success there's a there's a camaraderie we're really a community and uh, so as a community i hope we can all come together and work towards that end goal because that really is very critical if we're going to survive yep yeah it's imperative um do you have any advice or suggestions suggestions for um listeners who might be listening Yes, um, I would recommend that they get involved in whatever association, whatever organization that's in their backyard and also at the federal level, uh, because, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting this at multiple fronts. And, uh, you know, the backyard fight is highly critical, but the, the, the federal fight is also just as critical. Um, and, you know, people keep telling me, you know, People are getting burned out. They're, they're struggling with this because they haven't had many victories. And I say, you have no idea what you're actually saying. This industry's been around for 10 years. We've been under attack since day one. Yep. Day one, and we're still here 10 years later. And we'll be here another 10 years from now. Yep. But the only way that's going to happen is if we all fight. So, you know, I never, when I first started this business, ever envisioned a vape only store right i mean we were selling online we were selling in convenience stores we were selling in smoke shops with the sigalikes now you have stores that are filled with flavors devices expertise knowledge it's it's just a totally different industry and it's grown and that started that's maybe what six years old when we first started seeing the stores in 2012 yep now we're up to over 12,000 stores that's a huge success story. Uh, you know, that's not a failure by any stretch. We've got companies that are making liquids. You know, it started off as a hobbyist thing. Now we've got companies mixing liquids in labs and doing testing and everything else. We've come so far, so fast, and I think that that's a testament to our industry. I don't think that we're, we're, we're having failures at all. I mean, do we get beat over the head a couple times? Sure we do. <laughs> Do, do we see politicians making, you know, uninformed decisions? Absolutely. And shame on them for not finding out what this industry is really about, but also shame on us for not educating them beforehand. So yeah. I said, you know, my suggestion is for people to get really engaged and involved, learn and know your local representatives, talk to them. Yep. Go, go visit them because you'd be surprised how accommodating most of them are. And that really is, to me, the real grassroots of this. And, you know, they're willing to understand this. And when you start putting things out in front of them and explaining it, it a light goes off. They then go, wow, this is not a cigarette. This is not smoking. This yeah. is something very different. 
and they want to hear your stories. They want to understand what it's done for you. They want to understand about your business because it is a critical element to their decision-making. They don't want to make decisions that are going to keep people on smoking. No. They don't. No, absolutely. They really don't. Yeah, once they learn about it, and um, I think too with the you know you you mentioned that there's over twelve thousand stores now. I mean that in itself to a state you know a local representative that's so much capital, that's so much tax money, and they they, they can now really walk away from it. Yeah, they can. And I, I was sitting down here because in New Jersey we're trying to change the ten cents a mill tax to a a fairer tax, and as we explained it to the politicians after the fact. They were quite unaware of what the damage a ten cents per mill would do, and and I was actually sitting down with uh, uh, the Senate Budget Committee's uh, staffers and a number of people, and you know, I said the reality is is you're going to close these stores, but more importantly, you're going to take away options for people to to switch from smoking, and I said, you know. I don't mean to be cynical, but it almost looks like you're protecting your tax dollars. And the guy said point blank to me, he goes, we don't care if we never see another tax dollar from smoking. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, okay, put your money where your mouth is, support this legislation. Let's save these vape stores. So we're we're working with the, the NJVRC here to help them and to actually see if we can change this this law that was just recently passed before stores have to change their business model, go out of business, whatever the case may be. We want to give them the opportunity to continue to do what they've been doing. Yeah. And and, and that's important. So Yeah, no, and and you see the taxes. I always just like I point I think I wrote about the tax here at a research and commentary and I did um on that and I think Washington had some crazy tax that they didn't go through. But I always just point to Pennsylvania and that forty percent floor tax that they you know that closed a third of the shops and the state and it's like well you know you're closing these you're closing these down but these people are still going to vape they're just not not going to buy them from an, you know within your state that yeah and and we used Pennsylvania as an example uh, but partly when we were there at the final hearing date um, you know we heard from many uh, legislators going well, the vape shops said they were not opposed to this, and then we found out it wasn't the vape shops, that it was the C-stores, right? Oh. Their coalition, their organization. The problem there is is they've always been with us and helped fight you know, any of these issues with us, and we were originally facing a 75% tax. So um, you know, the point there is that the legislators don't even know the difference between a convenience store and a vape shop. And that, to me, is is a horrible situation, and it should never happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that's regardless of every meeting we've gone with these guys that they would give us, every uh, committee hearing where we've represented ourselves. But the, the, these folks never go into a vape shop. They yeah. don't know the difference, and that is the problem. And so, you know, if there's anything you can glean from this, Bring pictures. Show them what your shop is. You know, if they can't come to you, you go to them. Show them so they know the difference. A convenience store, if they lose these sales, are not going to go out of business. They sell a multitude of other products. And 
you know, so if they lose sales from e-cigarettes, they still have cigarettes. They still have soda. They still have milk. They still have candy. Mm-hmm. We have vapor. That's it. Yep. We do not sell anything else. I mean, occasionally you'll see some other products in there, but we do not sell tobacco. And that's the big difference. So they don't understand that difference. And that's really, I believe, a critical component for people to understand this when they're dealing with their politician. Show them what you're about. Show them who you are and why it's important to support you, uh, because they really need they need some cover too, right? Because they're you know everyone in their constituency is hearing that vaping is smoking. I mean, I heard a ridiculous statement that uh, you know they're smoking their vapes. What the heck is smoking their vapes? I mean, <laughs> it's an oxymoron. It is not smoking. No. <laughs> so um, it, it was just a crazy term I heard. I was like, I couldn't believe that someone actually said that. So, you know, I think we need to do more. I think we need to get out there, be invigorated, spend some time, dedicate some time, be grassroots activists. You know, this industry was started out that way. Safada was started out that way. And I I think it still remains to this day to be our strongest tool if we use it. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, okay, so you mentioned a lot of things in here. So, okay, where can our listeners find out more information about Safada, AMSA, um, the Youth Education Prevention Program, yep, and the New Jersey, um, G- or New Jersey Vapor Rights Coalition. There's a lot of them uh, there. <laughs> yeah, there are, and uh, you know, I'll just focus. Uh, you know, if you go on to safada.org, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are links to a number of these issues in the convention, uh, the conference as well. Uh, so you can find all this information on our website. It's a, it's it's a real great tool to help people navigate what things they may be looking for. And if you need extra help, uh, you can always reach out to member services at safada.org, and, and uh, you know they'll be able to help you and they'll respond to you and uh, get you the information you need. But uh, we really look forward to seeing everyone down there at our annual conference and our holiday party. We're looking to hope, hopefully the whole industry will be there because we're looking to ha- kind of let our hair down a little bit and have some fun and start uh, just bringing the industry back together. Because really, if we're all together and fighting together, we are much tougher to beat. Exactly. That's a great way to end it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Mark. Um, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Voices of Vapors. For more podcasts, please visit heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily Podcast on iTunes. For more information on e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at heartland.org.